بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم محمد الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ از دا سیونٹینتھ آف نومبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu. And I'm on the subsection in which we're taking a glimpse into his deep love for our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And yesterday I mentioned the report in which our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave his two blessed sandals to Abu Huraira. And then he told him that any of the believers you meet, if they bear witness with the certainty in their heart to the shahada, give them glad tidings of paradise. And then I mentioned that Umar radiyallahu struck him and the purpose behind that was, which he himself explained, that I fear that the people will then rely only upon this. And the Prophet then said, فَخَلِّهِمْ Then let them. And then I mentioned a few reports in this regard to clarify further. So just to add a few things before moving on. Our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had similarly said to Sayyidina Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiyallahu There is no one who bears witness that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave and messenger. إِلَّا حَرَّمَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَى النَّارِ But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the fire forbidden to him. So Mu'ad radiyallahu, he responded, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Afala ukhbiru bihan nasa fayastabshidu. Should I not now inform the people so that they may rejoice? He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Idhan yattaqilu. Rather they will then rely upon it, O Mu'ad. Thus Mu'ad radiyallahu related this when he was dying. So as to absolve himself of responsibility. Subhanallah. So this is recorded in Sayyid Bukhari, number 128, Sayyid Muslim, number 148, in the chapter on Iman. So here, again clarifying upon this, this time the Prophet added the second part of the Shahada, Muhammadur Rasulullah. And whoever says that, the Prophet wasallam says, believes this, the fire is forbidden to him. Look at how powerful that declaration is. إِلَّا حَرَّمَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَى النَّارِ Except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the fire forbidden to him. So Mu'ad, obviously, he goes, shall I tell the people so they rejoice? What did the Prophet sallallahu say? Just like Umar had feared. He said, إِذَنْ يَتَّقِلُوا Rather, they will then rely upon this. Meaning, be careful who you relate this to. And Mu'ad took it so seriously that he did not relate this until he himself was on his deathbed. Think about that. He was so fearful, he thought, I can't relate this because people might misunderstand. But when he was dying, he had a responsibility because he has to pass the knowledge on. And that's what the hadith says. He only related it to absolve himself of responsibility. In another report, our beloved messenger explicitly told Mu'ad, La, to bashirukhum fayattaqilu. No, I do not inform them. Lest they rely on it, I and abandoned deeds. This is in Sayyid Muslim number 144 in the chapter on Iman. 
So the Prophet himself testified that Allah said, Dos Jabur radiyallahu he relates, on his deathbed, Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiyallahu said, I will now inform you of something that I have heard from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Indeed, nothing prevented me from narrating it to you except the fact that you would have then overly relied upon it. This is in Ahmad in his Musnad, number 22,060. And Shaykh al-Bani alayhi stated Sahih in As-Sahihah, number 1,214. So, no clarification. He goes, the reason I haven't related this to you is that you would put too much reliance upon it. Meaning you would then stop doing deeds. So what's brilliant about Sayyidina Umar, he had worked this out before Rasulullah mentioned it. These narrations of Mu'ad came after the incident of Abu Hurairah. So otherwise, obviously, Umar would have just quoted the hadith of the Prophet But he himself said to the Prophet, I fear Ya Rasulullah, they'll rely on it too much. So Umar again, his view was confirmed by divine revelation. Why is that important to highlight? Because some people, they try to find fault with companions. And they say, look at Umar's audacity. He goes, Rasulullah gave the sandals to Abu Huraira and instead of gratefully accepting it, he punched Abu Huraira. So, and they give you the impression that Umar has a problem with the Prophet And the response is, complete the report. Why have you quoted only half? Mm. And, and he was right. <laughs> That's the, so instead of you know finding fault with that, you should say he was right and you yourself have made an error. <laughs> but this is again the brilliance of Sayyidina Umar. And doesn't it say explicitly in the Quran, in Surah Al-A'raf, Surah 7, verse 56, I'll give Verily the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is near to those who are the most pure and excellent eye in their deeds. Verily the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is near to those who are the most pure and excellent eye in their deeds. So what's the condition? Allah ta'ala didn't just say my mercy is near. Because my mercy is naminal muhsineen. Those who do the pure deeds. So Allah is telling you in the Quran that my mercy is like a magnet to those who do good deeds. Therefore the Prophet echoed this, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because they will over rely upon this blessed statement. Now this verse, there's a commentary. Mathal al-Warraq, rahmatullah he recited this verse, Ayy Surah 7 verse 56, he explained Dus earn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise by obeying Him. Dus earn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise by obeying Him. This is in Ibn Jarir and Ibn Kathir in their tafsits. Meaning, don't just sit back. Allah's mercy is vast, He's love mercy upon me. You're not doing anything. And the response is Allah says, Those who do good. So, what did the Salaf say? You earn that promise by obeying Him, by, by doing the deeds. And similarly, in another holy verse, it explicitly states in Surah Al-A'raf, Surah 7, verse 43. Behold the paradise before you. You have been made its inheritors for your deeds. Eye of righteousness. Behold the paradise before you. You have been made its inheritors for your deeds, bima kuntum ta'amalun. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? You've inherited paradise. 
what was the cause? You did righteous deeds. So this is the understanding. We put our reliance upon that glorious uh, formula, but we prove it by doing our deeds. Right? And also what's beautiful, when Amr ibn al-As, who was leaving the world in Egypt, you know, he was nearly a centurion when he was passing away. He was weeping. So his son said, Father, why do you weep? He goes, you did this, you was a companion, you did the comp- campaigns, the Prophet was pleased with you, etc., etc. Amr ibn al-As said, you forgot the most important thing. So his son goes, what's that father? He goes, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. So look how beautiful. He lived his whole life doing good deeds. On his deathbed, he's now ignoring his deeds. He goes, I put my reliance upon La ilaha illallah. That's the believer. The fruitcake doesn't do jike. Then on the deathbed, he talks like Amr ibn al-As. Well, hang on a minute. You didn't do anything. So again, note, there's a beautiful balance Allah Ta'ala is indicating. And this is why Rasulullah explicitly said, don't narrate this. Because this is something that people will misunderstand. So going back to Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallah. Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallah was one of those most fortunate souls who would help our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa with his istinja and wudu. Abu Huraira himself had related, radiyallah, when the Prophet وسلم, would go for the call of nature, I used to go with him with water in a pot or a skin. He then used to cleanse himself and wipe his hand on the ground. Then I used to go to him with another pot and he would make wudu. This is in Nasai. Abu Dawood Mishkat, number 64, in the chapter on cleanliness from the call of nature. So he had two honors given to him. He had both the pot of water or a skin of water, which the Prophet used for istinja, and then he had another pot, which he had for Rasulullah to make wudu. So look at the honor given to him. He was one of those fortunate souls who had that honor, who would help Rasulullah with his uh, istinja and his wudu, sallallahu alayhi wa like I mentioned too. So this is again a sunnah obviously to use water. Now on the same team, Sayyidina Abu Huraira, he related, I once met Rasulullah on one of the paths leading to Al-Madinah and I was in a state of Janab. I needed a bath. I thus evaded Rasulullah and I took a bath. So look at his love for the Prophet He needed to have a bath. He thought it's no good being in his presence when I need to have a bath. So he just quickly, you know, did what he needed to do. He came back. When I returned, he asked, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Aina kunta ya Abu Huraira? Where have you been? O Abu Huraira, radiyallahu. I replied, Kuntu junuban fakarihtu an ujalisaka wa ana ala ghidi tahara. You met me whilst I was junub. And I hated to sit with you before I became purified. Rasulullah responded, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Subhanallah, Innal mu'mina la yanjush. Glorified and free from all imperfection is Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Verily a believer is never impure. Subhanallah. So let's look at this. So this is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 283, 285. Sayyid Muslim, number 722. 
Nasai number 269, Abu Dawood number 200, Ibn Imajin number 527. So what was the mindset of Abu Huraira? His mindset was, I don't want to be in this presence, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when I need to have a bath. Just like people are frightened of doing things when they need to have a bath. So look how beautiful. When he came, Rasulullah missed him. So what does that tell you about his relationship with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? He goes, Aina kunta ya Abu Huraira, where have you been? So how long does it take to have a bath? But the Prophet missed him. And then he explained. He goes, you met me, I was Junub, I needed to have a bath. And I did not like to sit with you before I was purified. So if I stop there, you're thinking, subhanAllah. But the Prophet is duty bound to correct. And how did he respond? He said, subhanAllah first, meaning you made a mistake. Subhanallah. Innal mu'min Allah yanjush. Glorified and free from all imperfection is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verily a believer is never impure. So what does this mean? In another report, clarifying. In Bazaar Al-Haydami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 8, page 37, he comments upon the chain of narrators. Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 645 of the New English Translation. Sayyidina Abu Huraira, radiyallahu, he relates. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once met Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, radiyallahu and was going to shake his hand, Hudayfa radiyallahu turned away and he said, I am in a state of impurity, ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He thereupon said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O Hudayfa radiyallahu when a Muslim meets his brother Muslim and shakes his hand, their sins are thereupon graciously shed just as leaves are shed of a tree. So let's look at this. So Abu Harir is narrating, but it's not him now. It's now another companion, very famous companion, the people of secrets, Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. And Rasulullah wanted to shake his hand. So Hudayfa pulled his hand back. He goes, I need to have a bath. The Prophet look how he just completely ignored what he said. When a Muslim meets his brother Muslim, shakes his hand, their sins shed, just as leaves shed of a tree. Why did you deprive yourself? In a slightly different wording, he said, Rasulullah once met me when I was in a need of a bath. Thus I slipped away, I took a bath and I returned. And I said, I needed to have a bath, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, a Muslim is never impure. This is in Sayyid Muslim, number 723, in the chapter, a Muslim is never impure. So now, what does this mean? Does this mean that you can do anything then? So the scholars have now deduced from this. Some of the blessed scholars, Rahimahumullah, They've deduced from this an other hadith that a believer is therefore allowed to touch even the Holy Quran in such a state. Mm-hmm. For if one could hold the sacred hand of Rasulullah in this state, that Allah, then surely the same would be the case for the Quran. Mm-hmm. So if a person goes, so Rasulullah wanted to shake his hand and he himself said, you should have shook my hand even though you needed to have a bath. Is it Rasulullah Park? Mm. Yes, of course he is. Rasul Park, <laughs> And he can't touch the Quran. Then a person goes, 
Deiva, baffling. The Quran is pak, Rasulullah is pak. Rasulullah you can touch, you can't touch the Quran. So some scholars say, therefore that's not correct. You can't touch the Quran, even in the major state of impunity. Then there's a report from Sayyidina Hakim ibn Hizam, radiyallahu puzi. Who is his famous aunt? Khadija, mashallah. So, the famous companion, the nephew of Khadija, Hakim ibn Hizam, he relates, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent a letter to the people of Yemen in which he said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, La yamassal qur'ana illa tahir. None may touch the Qur'an but a tahir, i.e. a pure person. This is in Tabarani, Hakim Darukutni, and Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah stated Sahih in Sahih al-Jami number 7708 and Irwa al-Ghalil number 122. So, some look at this report and they say, no, the Prophet explicitly said, none may touch the Quran. You know, he said, you know, the word is lamas, to touch. None may touch the Quran but a tahir. So there seems to be a conflict between Sayyid reports. The scholars explain. Tahir here would mean a believer. For the najasa, I truly impure, applies only to the polytheists. Because in the glorious Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 28, Verily the polytheists are impure. So the scholars say, Who did Rasulullah write the letter to? It was to the people of Yemen. And he said, None may touch the Quran, illa tahir, the pure. So they say there's no contradiction between the Sahih Hadith. The Tahir here means a believer. So if you're a believer, whether you're pure or impure, you need to have a bath, you are always pure. Right? So therefore, it doesn't apply to you. It applies to the non-Muslims. And then, what does the Quran say? Innamal mushrikuna najasun. Verily, the polytheists are impure. So now the scholars look at this. Shaykh al-Bani in his work Tamamul Minna, page 107, he said, the hadith of Hakim ibn Hizam was meant to prevent the polytheists from touching the Mus'haf. In this regard, it is similar to the hadith. Rasulullah prohibited traveling with the Quran to the land of the enemies. Rasulullah prohibited traveling with the Quran to the land of the enemies. This is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 2990, Sayyid Muslim, number 1869, Imam Malik's Muwatta Behaki, and Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi authenticates it in Irwa ul-Ghalil 1-161. And the quote is in Tamam al-Minna, page 107. So the respected Shaykh is saying that the hadith of Hakim, Sayyid hadith of Hakim ibn Hizam, is in reference to the polytheists touching the Quran to prevent them. And he goes, there's another report which is more famous where Rasulullah prohibited traveling with the Quran to the land of the enemies. That's actually a command. Why? 
because they do not know how to respect the Quran. Don't give them the opportunity. So now, why is it more dominant view of the scholars? In fact, the overwhelming majority of scholars have said, keep away from touching the Quran. I.e., either they say it's prohibited or they say it is greatly disliked to touch the Quran in a major state of impurity. The reason is because there's a few authentic reports from the Salaf that apparently do not allow a person without wudu, let alone a bath, to touch the Quran. So here's two examples. In Imam Malik in his Muwatta, Behaki, and Shaykh al-Bani authenticates it in Irba al-Ghalil 1-161. Mus'ab ibn Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, he relates, whilst I was reciting the Quran from the Mus'haf to my father, I suddenly felt an itch and thus I inserted my hand between my garments, i.e. to my private parts. He thereupon asked, have you possibly touched your private parts? I said, yes, father. He thereupon said, go and perform wudu. <laughs> so this is one for authentic. So what happened? He was reciting the Quran from the Musa, meaning he had the Quran with him. <laughs> and he's reading to Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas and he felt an itch. So Sa'ad immediately said, have you touched your private parts? Without any, you know, barrier. He said, yes. Because stop. <laughs> Go and perform wudu. Meaning, if he was allowed to touch the Quran, why did Sa'ad tell him to stop? Mm-hmm. Similarly, Imam Ahmad, rahmatullahi, he said, one may not recite from the Mus'haf unless he performs wudu. Ishaq ibn Rahway commented, rahmatullahi, it is because of Rasulullah's authentic hadith, sallallahu alayhi wa no, no one may touch the Quran but a tahir. This is authenticated in Irwa ul Ghalil 1-161. So many of the Salaf, they say, don't touch the Quran. When you haven't got wudu, make sure you do wudu, let alone have a bath. So here, Shaykh al-Bani, he looks at all of this. And he came to the understanding in Tamamun Minna, page 107, quoting. There are authentic reports from some of the companions, radiyallahu ta'ala anhum that they refrain from touching the Qur'an without wudu, which I've mentioned a few. Those are thus only an indication of what is recommended for the person who wants to touch or recite the Qur'an. However, there is absolutely no evidence to make this compulsory or to prohibit touching the Qur'an for a woman or a man without tahara. So what did he say? He said, if you look at all of the hadith in this area, which he came across, he said, clearly the Salaf did not like you to touch the Quran without wudu. It's clear. Yet, other report from the Prophet direct says you can. So he said, therefore, the Salaf's understanding was it is recommended. It is, you know, disliked for you to touch the Quran in that state. Mm-hmm. So maybe, for instance, if you haven't got wudu and you touch the Quran, that's a mild dislike. Mm-hmm. But if you need to have a bath, it becomes a great dislike. Mm-hmm. Because this is how you understand what the Salaf were teaching. Mm-hmm. And it goes both for the male or the female. Another proof of this is the letter which our beloved Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sent to Heraclius 
which contain two verses of the Quran. Surah Al-Fatiha, Surah 1 verse 1, and Surah Al-Ali Imran, Surah 3 verse 64. This is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 7, number 2941, number 4553, and number 6260, Sayyid Muslim, number 1773. So, Rasulullah wrote a letter, got it dictated, they wrote it, who did he send it to? To Heraclius. And there's two verses of the Quran in it. So Heraclius, a non-Muslim, was allowed to touch the Quran. Written. This goes one step beyond the above discussion in that it even permits a non-Muslim to touch at least two verses from the Quran. Some respond to this and say it is permissible to touch a maximum of two verses without purity. <laughs> So these are mentioning this is because look at the scholarly discussion over this. Some say, okay, two verses. But the response to this is who sets this limit? Hafiz ibn Hazm, he said in Al-Muhalla, number 116, all these are invalid views because there is no proof for this. The Hafiz then mentions certain verses of great length, such as the verse of debt, Surah 2, verse 282, which is around the page of the Quran. As compared to those two verses which do not even make up a single line, what then does one use as a guideline? <laughs> so you're saying two verses, okay, two verses. The ayat of uh, debt, the guy looks at you, what are you talking about? It's, a, it's around the page, it's the longest verse of the Quran. Are you talking about that verse? You know, I mean the small one, who said small? So he goes, these are just like, you know, things that people have just invented. Thus Hafiz ibn Hazm concluded in Al-Muhalla number 116, as for touching the Mus'haf, none of the reports that are used as evidence by those who prohibit it for a junub are authentic. So this is very interesting. There are some direct reports from Rasulullah that says that a person who needs to have a bath, he is not allowed to touch the Quran. So there are reports. But Hafiz ibn Hazm said, none of them are authentic. Mm. I was interesting about that. If they were, authentic hadith are contradicting. Mm. So how can they be authentic? Mm. So in conclusion, putting it simply, it is thus highly recommended for the person in a state of hadath to be in the highest state of purity, I, other than when in menses, for they naturally have to wait till its end, when reciting or touching the Quran. I'll say that again. It is thus highly recommended for a person in a state of hadath to be in the highest state of purity other than when in menses for they naturally have to wait till the end when reciting or touching the Quran. And of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So, the spectrum of the scholars, some say it's absolutely prohibited. Others say it's absolutely allowed. So what we can take is there's leeway. So when there's like a, for instance, there may be an emergency. Nobody can get the Quran, only you and you need to have a bath. There's the leeway. You're thinking there's a difference of opinion. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it because it's a necessity. But some people say it's like touching lightning. Oh, brother, what are you doing? Right? And the response to that is, no, brother, now you're going into another extreme. There's the mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm not doing it to disrespect the Quran. And also reciting it. That's important. Why? Because if you say a person cannot recite the Quran, 
until they need to have a bath, what is a hafiza supposed to do when she's having her menses? So you're telling her for eight, seven, eight days, no Quran. She's going to forget. So even logically, what's, just because she's a woman, she's handicapped. Right? So isn't there any leeway there? And the response is, yes, there is. Right? So if there's a hafiza, she's just reciting to keep the Quran preserved. He's not reciting it in terms of, you know, I want to get rewarded and I want to do this. I just want to keep the Quran preserved. Also, the scholars say protection. You can decide the verses of protection when you're in a major state of impurity. Why? Because your intention isn't to decide the Quran. Not to dis- it's just to get the protection that is needed. And all of this is from the initial reports of Abu Harir. So what's interesting, you get people just narrating the reports. MashaAllah, SubhanAllah, and then a minute. What did the Prophet say? Why didn't he, like, babe, why didn't you shave my hand? So he's telling a person who's in a major state of impurity, you should have shook my hand. Is Rasulullah's blessed hand park? Yes. Is the Quran park? Yes. How come I can touch Rasulullah's hand, not the Quran? So just with logic, you're thinking, because there's a hadith for that. Right, let's look at the report. And then you look at the reports, they're not authentic. The Prophet authentic reports indicate permissibility. So again, it's important to highlight this here. And the reason I've gone through this at length is because this is something very practical. We need to be aware of this. But again, of course, when touching the Quran, always be in the highest state of purity. This is the great greatest, it's the safest approach. But at the same time, there's a bit of leniency by because of the difference of opinion of the blessed scholars. So all I mentioned today was basically, again, just two things. One is further clarification upon the Shahada. Does it take you to paradise without you doing any good deeds? And the response is that is a misunderstanding of the Hadith of the Prophet And then I mentioned, of course, uh, the report of Abu Huraira, where he quickly had a bath before going into the presence of the Prophet And of course, the fiqh with regards to the matter. Are there any questions you might ask? سبحان بهم لي سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك واذكر بالله من شرور سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون السلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل ان الانسان لفي خسر الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات واصبحوا حق واصبحوا صابرين